This morning, we are going to continue our summer series entitled For Those Who Have Eyes to See, Rediscovering the Kingdom of God. The first two weeks of our series, pastors Mark and Al shared with us how God moved in time in the Old Testament to establish the kingship of Israel. We heard them tell what the kingdom looked like then and still looks like now. We heard Pastor Mark tell us that the kingdom is a place where bad decisions can be redeemed by God and that sometimes a good idea gets a no. It's also a place, he told us, where all the subjects of the king have a unique role, especially the least likely. He also told us how God's kingdom ultimately connects with God's people with God's glory. And last week, Pastor Al shared even more with us. He shared the development of theocracy and how King David expressed the largeness of God through Psalm 145. I hope you remember that. It was encouraging and challenging to all of us to welcome a one and bigger God with a one and bigger kingdom a bigger God for all people, a bigger God as in all over life, and a bigger kingdom not compartmentalized to Sundays and good places in our life, but as a bigger God who reigns in his kingdom in this world among us, regardless of what appears to be. God's kingdom is a big picture. One God with one reign, over all of heaven and earth. So historically speaking, here we are today. We move to the point in the story where God's kingdom becomes a touchable reality for us. It enters into the world as we know it through God's Son, Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, God shares the kingdom with us, but not yet the complete fullness of God's kingdom. And Jesus teaches us all about the kingdom. You know, it was his favorite thing to talk about. There are over 60 incidences where he speaks in the Gospels alone to the kingdom of God. In the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at some of those specific places and how Jesus has shared them and what they mean for us now. Early in Jesus' ministry, after he was baptized and tested, he began his teaching ministry, both with that very close circle of disciples, but also with the crowds that began to gather around him. In Matthew 6, 33, Jesus teaches us quite directly with a command, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, very literally and simply, the verse in Greek says, first, above all things, all things, not your compartmentalized life that Pastor Al talked about, but over all of life, first, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The Greek word for seek is very strong. It means continually per to persevere in the search, to give strenuous effort and be absorbed in your search. A common language translation then might sounds something like this, above all things and in all things, 
Never stop persevering in your search for God's kingdom. In fact, day and night be absorbed by it. Well, the good news here is that in Matthew 7, 7, Jesus tells us that that which we seek we will find. The gift is worth the search and all the effort. I don't know if you heard it or not, but in um, Matthew 6, 33, there's an and, and so I'm going to read it again. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God's kingdom, you see, and God's righteousness, they can't be separated. They are tied to each other. They go hand in hand. So as we learn of righteousness, we learn of kingdom. And as we learn of kingdom, we learn of righteousness. By the power then of God's Holy Spirit living in us, we live into and we act on our knowledge of both of these things at the same time, most often. For example, this past week we had a women's summer gathering. And if you and I understand from our study of God's word and much prayer that what is right to God is a world without abuse or bullying and disrespect of persons, like we heard this past week, then encouraged and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we act on this knowledge, doing our part to bring peace into our lives and into our community and into our world, then we are living out the kingdom in a very small but significant way. For you see, God's kingdom and God's righteousness just can't be separated. They're not exactly the same, but they're joined. They're joined in the person and the personality of God. And God cannot be divided within or against his will. How do we do this then? How do we seek these things? Well, Jesus gives us glimpses of the kingdom. And I told you that we're gonna, over the next few weeks, we're going to look into more of those. But this morning, he invites us to seek by sharing in his prayer life. He instructs us to pray earnestly and passionately, just as he does, for kingdom and righteousness. Now hear these words from Jesus' most famous prayer, our text for today, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, I want to share with you something from my own personal Bible. Now, I don't know about you, but I write all in the margins. And I have been to many Bible studies in the course of my life, and my personal Bible I did not bring this morning because I was afraid that if I held it up, it would just fall apart. It is um, in crumbly condition, and sometimes the notes in the margin are not easily to read. But across from this verse, I have these three things. Number one, a desire to follow Jesus. Number two, trust in God for answers. Number three, have confidence in the future. 
Well, also next to that note is the name Dr. Timothy Peck from Trinity Seminary. I don't know when he said this, spoke this, wrote this, or whatever, but it made an impact on my life at some point, and I added it in there. So I just want you to know that those three things are not mine, so I'm not going to plagiarize him. But I have studied for the past several weeks this scripture, and I find that they're still very valid today. And I'm going to use them then to organize the sermon this morning. The first affirmation we make when we pray this part of the Lord's Prayer is that when we pray for God's kingdom reign to come, we are actually affirming our desire to follow Jesus' example. Christ has come. And he says to us, you don't belong to evil, but to good. I have paid the price. I bought your soul. So when we accept that claim of Christ on our lives, we have access to the king and to his kingdom. We pray this prayer and we wait on the Lord, just acknowledging that we can do absolutely nothing to bring in the kingdom without God's initiative Yet we are, when we pray this prayer, are willing to be available to be used by God. And so we pray, make thy kingdom come, Lord, and I'm willing to be a part of your work. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're also saying the same thing to God that Jesus said to him in the garden. You all remember that? Not my will, but thine be done. In the same way, we're following Christ's example here of abandoning our own lives to the will of God, our Father. We're saying, my life is not my own. I belong to a heavenly Father who loves me. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we're asking God to affirm and exercise his kingship over the world, over all of the world. And we are making a commitment to live into it, not passively. Over and over and over in the Gospels, Jesus calls us to active obedience in thought, in word, and in action. Not just any obedience here, but a very specific obedience, and that is to God's will. In the next few weeks, we're going to discover together more of what God's will is for that kingdom and for us. But right now, we are going to affirm that our desire is to be obedient, to be active, to participate in the kingdom of God by seeking and praying on behalf of ourselves, on behalf of our neighbor and others, and on behalf of our world it's very important to note here, though, that Jesus warns us not to ask for ourselves what we would deny to others. So our affirmation is the prayer, bring your kingdom to us as we take it to others and as we live your kingdom in family and in community. There's a connection between what God does and what we do. For example, it's really hard to receive and to understand forgiveness if we haven't been willing to accept it for ourselves and to forgive another. When we refuse to do our part, then we cut ourselves off from God's part. 
and God desires all of us participating in the kingdom. And from this teaching, we have a second affirmation. When we pray for God's kingdom reign to come, we are affirming our trust in God to answer our requests appropriately. As I prepared this sermon the last couple of weeks, I kept coming back to that saying, be careful what you pray for. I caught myself saying that once. And I heard non-church people say it in the grocery store. That was interesting. I was eavesdropping on a conversation. But also I've heard some of you say it. It's a kind of an interesting saying, isn't it? But let's be honest here. Most of us have thought it or said it at one time or another in our lives. I don't necessarily think it's bad theology. I just kept wondering why it was pestering me and what made me need to be careful about what I prayed for. Did it really mean I needed to be careful or did it mean I needed to be afraid of what I prayed for? I kept coming back to it. And the answer I came up with was, I don't really think so. Because Pastor Mark reminded us a couple of weeks ago that God does say no to some things. So I thought, well, as we pray very specifically, there are really only three responses from God. Yes, no, and not yet. God does answer according to what's in line with God's righteousness, God's will, and God's furtherance of his kingdom. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are saying, God, I trust how you choose to answer my request. We are saying, God, this is what I want. Not only is it what I want, maybe this is what I think I need in this situation, but I really trust you. And I believe that you see this situation far clearer than I ever will. For me, this looks more like being thoughtful about what I ask for in prayer, not fearful or overly cautious. Sometimes we pray with the hindsight, the perspective of hindsight. I doubt if many of you here are terribly familiar with Garth Brooks. and his song, Unanswered Prayer. But some of you might remember, it's a song about a guy who goes to his high school reunion, and he gets there and he sees this woman that he wanted to marry. And it stirs up in him all kinds of things. He remembers devoting his prayer life almost entirely through high school to asking God for this woman to marry And of course, God didn't answer the way he thought. And so now he is at this reunion, and he walks away from the reunion thanking God for not answering the prayer in the way that he had wanted, thanking God instead for the woman he brought later in his life to be his wife. Well, the reality is not the title of the song, Unanswered Prayer. The reality is that God answered the prayer with a no. You know, there are no unanswered prayers for the children of God. Maybe you didn't know that. When you pray, God answers yes, no, 
or not yet. When you pray within the will of, the God, of God for his kingdom to come. Our plans absolutely must fail if they aren't in line with the will of God. While we can and should pray daily, help us to do your will, Lord. Our prayer shouldn't be confused with this prayer that asks God to act in accordance with his will for his kingdom and the ultimate kingdom of this world. We don't ask God for our will to be done, but only that we be blessed to participate in the coming of his kingdom. And it is extremely important that we realize as Christians that we are about fulfilling God's will in our lives for his benefit and not ours. It's not about us. Think of God's will as, as looking at something from a very small perspective, like a microscope, where we looked at God's reign as being a big picture. The microscope might be God's will. It's a view of a certain specific circumstance in life. And God's will is God's kingdom then applied to that circumstance. It could be a relationship. The circumstance could be an individual person. It could be an event. It could be a community. And the list goes on and on. But I think you get the idea that I'm saying. It's that God takes his will into our individual circumstances. For an example, it, is, it was said that once at a meeting of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Bobby Richardson, former New York Yankee second baseman, offered a prayer that has become a classic in brevity and in poignancy. See if you don't agree as I pray this prayer. Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. I tell you, as I have stu studied this scripture for the last several weeks, this prayer has been more dynamic than almost anything that came out of this study for me. Your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. So this is now the third affirmation that we make. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are affirming our confidence, not only in the already, but in the future culmination of God's plan. God's kingdom is ultimately God's gift to his creation, to us. It's a gift of divine grace to all who are willing to receive it. And that means submitting to God's demands for loyalty and obedience and devotion. Only God can really bring the ultimate transformation of the world that includes complete annihilation of sin. Praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, expresses the desire that we have that the acknowledgement of God's reign accomplishes his purposes here on earth, even as they already do in the kingdom of heaven, on his throne. Through Jesus, our sins are already forgiven. Yet because of the not yet fully realized kingdom here on earth, we still struggle with the power of sin in our lives. We're still falling and failing. 
Through Jesus, our salvation is already given and it's already guaranteed. And we're promised complete healing and restoration when Christ comes again. But because of the not yet fully realized kingdom, our bodies still get sick. And we still struggle with our doubts and our fears. Already, the powers of evil and darkness have been defeated by Jesus through his death and resurrection. Amen. Yet because of the not yet fully recognized and realized kingdom, there's still evil and darkness in our world. So when we pray your kingdom come, we're not really focusing on the already, but we are looking forward to the not yet part. When we live in this tension between the already and the not yet, we affirm our confidence that the culmination of God's plan will answer all those not yet questions that we have. All of us have questions we'd like to ask God. And maybe you've heard me talk about mine. I have a little notebook that I keep and I write my questions to God down in the notebook. And I have instructed my family to make sure that notebook goes with me when I go. <laughs> because they are the questions that I have passion about or that are meaningful in my life. And, one, and I'm just gonna give you three examples of my questions so that you can begin to formulate your own questions or affirm that you too have some questions. I want to ask God why he allowed my father to die only months before I graduated from seminary, when my dad had been the first person to hear my call even before me and had encouraged me to go into ministry. I don't understand. I also want to know why God allows the suffering that I've seen in the eyes of a parent who finds out her daughter has been violated. I said I was passionate. And I also want to know why God allows unjust governments to brutalize their own people. These are the things I don't get among the many that are on my list. I'm sure that you have your list. I don't know the answers to these questions. I am not smart enough or wise enough to figure them out, but I do believe that one day God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven, that the time will come when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord. And so until then, I pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done, affirming my confidence in the future culmination of God's plan. The evidence of God's kingdom is God's will and desire being done right here and right now, just like God's kingdom in his heaven. Most of you are familiar with the message written by Eugene Peterson. It's an interpretation of our scriptures. And he says it this way. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best. As above, so below. The servant of the king sees God's kingdom not 
yet completely fulfilled on earth. This prayer is not necessarily for the future coming of Christ, although it can be, and it is, but it's also for the spreading of God's kingdom around the world through kingdom servants, through you and I. Therefore, it becomes a prayer that we, God's servants, can be faithfully obedient and effective in living out the kingdom principles in our own lives and then spreading the kingdom through our words, our thoughts, our actions, our love. You know, even with our questions and our struggles, when we pray for God's kingdom reign, we're making three affirmations. We're affirming our desire to trust Jesus as his disciples. We're affirming our trust in God to answer our questions appropriately. Yes, no, or not yet. And we're affirming our confidence in the future culmination of God's kingdom come on earth. To pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's a blowing of trumpets and an unfurling of banners. It is a great celebration when we pray. We celebrate the already present kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. And we look forward to the future with bright hope and great expectation. We say thank you for the gift of Jesus right now. And at the same time, we say, we are yours, Lord, for all eternity. And we're looking forward to a most glorious time when your kingdom is established and fully realized here on earth. We proclaim not only that God loves us, but that God is king right now. And that God loves us forever and God is king forever. Amen.